occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> Hey, welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode six. Six. I'm Kate. I'm Abby. Today I'm going to be telling you about a alleged occult crime. It's the use of magic to uh, kill some people, so that'll be fun. And I'm going to be telling you about the Black Mausoleum. Anything you want to get out of the way first? Uh, I want to say a big happy birthday to my friend Sophie Borner. Nice. Cool. Real professional. I got to. She's my best friend. <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh, anything you want to get out of the way? I want to thank everybody for 500 listens. Oh, that's a bit more professional, yeah. That is a big milestone that we've accomplished, which is pretty <laughs> fun, pretty exciting. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, everybody. It's really cool. Thank you all. That it is. And, and thank you for the messages and the requests for other stories as well. We've had a few now, so. We will get to them. If not this episode, then another promise. We will try and get to all of them. Definitely. We'll give it our best shot. Yeah, but thank you for listening. This is really fun to do, and I'm glad that people are listening it, listening to it and enjoying it. And don't forget, you can go to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at MythsMagicPod, and like our stuff, comment, share it, do whatever you can to help us out. We really appreciate it, and keep requesting things, and yeah. Yeah, you can donate to us, but if you don't have the money, then a a share and a comment, you know, still still helps us out. So yeah. that would still be good. Anything else? Or no, I think that's all I got to say. You want to start? I can start if you so wish. That's, <laughs> I always that's how so it wish. goes. So yeah, I'm going to be telling you about a alleged witchcraft crime, and we'll see how you think this actually went down after I finished telling you about it. Okay. I've got to see how this is going to work with this new setup we've got going on. So my sources are the darksideofamerica.com, religionnewsblog.com, uh, sulanews.com, foxnews.com, cbsnews.com, wildhunt.org, and I found the court papers at iowacourts.gov. Cool. Bunch of sources this time. <laughs> Sauce. So I wish you is, didn't say that. Uh, hey, listen. <laughs> it's it's sauce. So this is uh, kind of an obscure one, and it's something that I haven't heard before, and I'm sure many of you also haven't, unless you're from Iowa or the States in general. I don't really know how big this is, but I did have to go through quite a lot of sources, as I just said, to you know, create the story, piece it all together, basically. Right. So this is the story of an alleged magical spell that went wrong killing two innocent children. Ooh. Off to a good start. Yeah. It's important to note that this is obviously not entirely proven. Uh, it's not proven that this man was, like, right-minded at the time uh, or whether it was legit witchcraft or insanity. And I just want to say that we both believe in witchcraft and that kind of stuff. So this court case and how we feel about it does not reflect our opinions on that, just to get that out of the way. Yeah, if I didn't believe in witchcraft, I wouldn't be probably doing this podcast. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, this isn't just to slag off everything that we find out. Like, No, we're, we're very open-minded people. Yeah. So this takes place in January 2008 in Iowa, America. Two girls were found dead in a smoke-filled house and were thought to be victims of a ritual slaying. 
Lawrence Douglas Harris Sr., long name, was charged with the stabbing and strangulation murder of his two stepdaughters, Kendra and Alicia Suing, aged 10 and 8, in what police were calling a spell gone bad. Damn. The city police and fire departments responded to an anonymous recall, anonymous call uh, of, a rep- of a fire at the victim's home, and when the officers arrived at the scene, Lawrence told them calmly that the children were dead in their bedrooms and that he was the only adult present at home. They also lived with their mother, Marla, but she wasn't home at the time. Could you imagine like being able to tell whoever turned up just calmly, like, oh yeah, the kids are dead? Yeah, the kids are upstairs, but they're dead, so don't worry about them. Lawrence appeared to have blood on him, and he told investigators that he was performing rituals and he cast a spell that had gone bad, and the spell could have severe consequences. The fire was coming from his basement, and it was confirmed that he'd purposely set it to cover up evidence or as part of the ritual. It was evident that the children had died from stab wounds and strangulation before the fire was set, so they thought that he, he had done this and then he'd like set a fire so that he could burn the house down and get rid of the evidence, basically. Right, so it's not really a spell gone wrong then, is it? If it's happened like as like part of the spell's ritual, do you know what I mean? The fire? No, I mean like the kids being dead. Well, that's the thing. We'll get we'll get into it more. Okay, sorry, jumping ahead. That's okay. So Lawrence claimed that the spell was to protect their teenage brother, but it reversed itself and killed the children. But they had stab wounds. However, <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll get to that, Kate. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> However. Alicia's blood was found on Lawrence's fingers and at the tip of a long knife that he referred to as a ritual knife. And it was found tucked inside one of his spell books. Police Chief Joe Frisbee at a conference one day later said, That's an unfortunate last name. <laughs> Frisbee. You're talking about people casting spells. Spells gone bad. Obviously there's a lot more going on here than straightforward homicide. So I thought it was interesting that they obviously believed in the witchcraft claim to like an extent you know what i mean they were taking that into account rather than just being like well this guy's obviously crazy well he had a ritual knife it's not like he was like oh another witch has cast a spell on my kids and now they're dead like he had a ritual knife and was obviously performing rituals whether they think it meant anything or not you know what i mean whether they thought the magic around it was real yeah i guess you have to accept that he is practicing some form of witchcraft yeah so he was obviously arrested and they took him to court. And because of the ties to witchcraft in this, his attorney decided to convince the jury that he was insane to try and, you know, prevent him jail time. Fair enough. Videos shown in court show Lawrence telling police officers that when the spell backfired, he experienced a memory hole and he didn't remember what happened. However, the jury did not agree and instead he was found guilty to two accounts of first-degree murder. Several experts came forward to defend the practice of witchcraft and explain that it's often misunderstood. Professor Helen Berger, who is the author on three books on witches, told the Sioux City Journal that she doubted anyone claiming to have killed children while casting a spell as a true practitioner of witchcraft. In it, yeah, that is not... For most witchcraft, you don't really need human sacrifice. You don't really kill people, yeah. No, especially two people, do you know what I mean? Yeah, she said, this is not a group that participates normally in violence, but it is a group that doesn't have firm boundaries, which means that anyone can make a claim to be a member, you know? Yeah. So some interesting things I noticed. He obviously was highly interested in witchcraft because he did have a ritual, like a spell book and like a ritual knife and stuff. And he claimed to be doing a a protection spell that backfired. True, but he might not have, you know, you don't know when he made 
the spell book. I guess, but to make a whole book in, like, are you suggesting that he did it in, like, the time that he'd killed the children and set the fire? Yeah, but you don't know how full the book is, is what I mean. True, yeah, I couldn't find out much on the book. It so just it said that have, it was like, there. like, four pages written, and it's just like, you know, he's killed the kids with this knife, and then he's been like, shit, you know, I've done that. Um, and then he's been like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, blame it on witchcraft, because satanic panic you know what i mean yeah and then... but i did like that the investigators didn't just think he was crazy like they were interested in hearing how he committed the murder you know however when i had read up to this part i also doubted that he killed them in a spell that backfired because why would he have blood on a ritual knife and been covered in blood like he was obviously trying to harm them exactly and... yeah they were obviously a sacrifice and he had the spell book and stuff so while i think maybe he you know could have been a witch or interested in witchcraft i don't think that the murder and the witchcraft are correlated you know yeah fair enough because what kind of witch is killing his own children unless he's just really tormented well i guess it could be like um you know how in films it's like oh you need the blood of a virgin yeah he could have just been practicing some dark stuff like who can be sure yeah you could just be using it's like how serial killers might kill their own pet you know yeah that kind of sort of um, kind of instrumental value, I guess, that you assign. Either way, though, a protection spell gone wrong, how does that... Oh, yeah, no, that's that's ...kill bollocks. children. His wife, Marla, told reporters that although Lauren sh showed to love his children, she thinks that there was never a spell and that he did this purposely to, like, hurt their mother. And right. he knew he'd accomplished his goal when he saw a reaction. She said that he showed no sign of remorse and that he was trying to hold... She was trying to hold back his sadness because she didn't want to give him it, but she ultimately obviously gave up and gave him the, the what things that he wanted, you know, which is what she thinks, which is just her being miserable. I mean, it could be possible that he was trying to do a protection spell against sort of evil spirits, and maybe he didn't. I mean, I don't know anything about this case, like I haven't looked into it before, but it could be that he was trying to do this protection spell against spirits, didn't cleanse the area properly, something went wrong with the spell, he could have then just, you know, got possessed. I know it's all really far-fetched, but to do a protection spell, I feel like you have to have a worry, you know what I mean? Something to protect from. Yeah. So maybe that was kind of what was happening. That's why he has, like, the memory blank, because he was possessed. Well, In that time, he then could have killed the two kids. Well, what's interesting is that I obviously found the court papers, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And they're super interesting. And they changed the case of it because it has some things in it that weren't in any of the news articles. Okay. So the news articles that I read kind of just gave me the story that I just read out to you. Like, it, it gave you the basis. But the court papers were a bit different. So when the police officers came to the fire and Lawrence told them that the children were dead, they went upstairs to get the girls' bodies. And it said that one of them was completely naked with a belt around her neck that was tightly, like, cutting off her Jesus. Hair. And the other one was partially undressed and had a long gaping wound on her arm. Oh my goodness, like a defensive wound? I, I didn't see that. The blood was found under his fingernails, on his chest and on his shoes. So I feel like this shows that it's not just a spell gone wrong because a spell isn't going to cut, strip and strangle two children, you know? Oh yeah, well that's what I was saying before, like a spell will not stab someone, you know what I mean? The thing is, though, it gets a bit stranger, and I don't know whether you're going to change your mind. Like, I can't I can't fully decide what happened here, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. 
So a witness recounted Lawrence's interest in serial killers and said that he was smart enough to fool psychiatrists into thinking that he was insane. He also had an interest in Satanism, and although he said this was a protection spell that backfired, he had made efforts, so the fire, to conceal his behaviour which indicated that he knew that he'd done something wrong. The defence presented test results that showed that Lawrence was unable to correctly understand right from wrong and couldn't understand the horror of his actions. So they couldn't decide whether he understood guilt, you know? Okay, so... What I said earlier still stands. The man could have been possessed. Yeah, let me just read out this next bit. This is really interesting. Okay. So he was also asked to repeat repeat the spell in court when he started to experience, uh, when he started to dissociate and experience paranoia. A quote from the papers, the court papers, say, "Mr. Harris, when it came to step five, when it came to step five of the spell, he became awestruck. He froze and became terrified. He lost touch with the reality around him. His pupils dilated and then constricted." He began to sweat and tremble. So it provides some evidence of his mental state at the time of the killings, which either proves that he experiences some psychotic episodes and that magic is a trigger for him, you know, or when he said that he performed a protection spell and blacked out, he was telling the truth and he didn't mean to commit it. Yeah, that could be it, because you don't know where he got the spell from, you know. Like, there's some dangerous shit out there. Maybe it was a more malevolent spell than he realised. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, his wife said that he was... He didn't feel any remorse or anything and that, you know, he couldn't tell right from wrong, but... I mean, that one's a hard one because, all right, so I'm going to go through that step by step. Uh, We are both interested in serial killers enough to make a podcast that includes them. But I'm not out here trying to murder an eight-year-old. Yeah, that's true. So that's kind of stricken off the record because that is just an interest and and people find it interesting because it's so out there, you know? Yeah. Um, Anyone can fool a psychiatrist or a psychologist because having studied psychology, um, the only way that they can kind of test you is from your behavior. So if you behave in a way that's different to how you think, you know, if you're trying to get identified as as insane so that you have a lesser jail sentence it's not that fucking hard all you got to do is like throw yourself at the wall do you know what i mean you know how insane people Fair act enough, yeah yeah so it's not hard to to fool a psychiatrist because there's nothing it's not like doing a blood test there's no right or wrong it's all and also, m- mental disorders are constantly changing anyway. It's like being gay used to be a mental disorder, like an actual classifiable mental disorder. It is crazy. Yeah. So that one also kind of stricken off the record for me. It's interesting that they say that they were certain that he couldn't tell the difference between right and wrong because I don't really feel like anyone can. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everything's justifiable to an extent. Well, it's like what they said when he he had um, committed the murder and then he set fire to the house. Like, he must have understood that was wrong because why else would he bother to conceal it? True, but they also said that... The, it could be part of the ritual. It could be part of the ritual, yeah. True. It's so I feel a like there's a, lot of, there's a lot of um, holes in the prosecution's kind of outcome of it yeah that's why i thought it was really interesting because i found this case and i was like 
I'm not going to find anything interesting. It's probably just a murder, you know, the one I started reading it. Mm. But then it, the court papers really changed it for me because I, when he repeated the spell and he started to have, like, physical symptoms, that's very interesting to me because he did say that he had a memory block. And, like, I guess you could fake paranoia, but to fake all of those symptoms and have your, like, pupils dilate and stuff, how does that, how do you do that, you know? How do you fake that? Something must have been happening. I guess, you know, he could have just been psychotic. And as I said, that doing a spell is, you know, triggers him into having some sort of psychotic episode. But it is interesting. I it mean, you crazy. can fake things like that. Like, I... I can make my pupils dilate by, like, blurring my vision. Do you know what I mean? I guess. So. He's got to be good, though, to do that. It, it just It's just a really interesting case. I just wasn't sure. Let us know what you think about that. But equally, though, it could be something like trauma. Do you know what I mean? So, like, because obviously trauma prevents you from remembering horrible things. So maybe he does genuinely have that that memory block, and then by making him recite it, maybe he's remembering bits, yeah. And therefore, very traumatized, which is causing things like pupil dilation and and sweating and whatever else. It is just interesting. It's a very interesting case. Yeah, let's know what you think at yeah. Miss Magic Pod or Definitely. email us at com. You should do that. Yeah, so that's my that's my little story. It's very interesting. Short but sweet. It's frustrating because I know that we'll never get a real answer. Yeah. No, you know, if you're an expert on any of these things, let us know. But, yeah, it's unlikely that we'll ever get a proper conclusive thing. Because this was 2008. He was put in jail in 2009, I think, so. Yeah, and we'll never get a conclusive that's answer. That's case closed, you know. Something like, like what I said, mag be possessed. You know, or he could have, like, read a malicious spell or something that backfired, you yeah. know? So, it's hard. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm going to plug our stuff before we start Kate's one. What is yours on, Kate? Uh, the Black Mausoleum. Cool. So, stay tuned for that. So, um, as I said in episode five, making a podcast isn't cheap. We're doing it for fun, but also... If you do like it and you want to support us and you want to help us fund the podcast and run it, then you can donate to us at our website, mitsmagicandmurder.weebly.com. It'll be in description and everything else. Um, and there's a, a button on there to support the podcast and you can subscribe to our Patreon to hear exclusive episodes and join the chat and stuff. Or you can give us a one-time PayPal donation or buy us a coffee or anything and that'll just really help us out. And you might get some cool rewards, or at least a thank you. You'll get some something back. But, yeah, it would really help us, because it's not cheap. And although we enjoy it, you know, we also have to pay for it, so... <laughs> uh, if you want to follow us on social media, it's at MidsMagicPod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And, yeah, you can just drop us a comment there. Everything that we talk about on here, we post the photos of there, so you can get some, some reference and look at it while you listen or whatever. So, yeah. You have anything else to plug, Kate? No, I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head. Coolio. Don't know why I said that. Sorry. Please never say that. <laughs> it's like sourth. South. Okay, so I'll get right into it then. Yeah, go ahead. I used Wikipedia, paranorms.com, unexplainedmysteries.com, hauntedearthghostvideos.blogspot.com. Cool websites. Yeah. Mysteriousfacts.com, theghostdiaries.com, and there's an American TV show called Scariest Places on Earth that did an episode looking into the Black Mausoleum. Cool. So 
So the Black Mausoleum is in Edinburgh in Scotland and is the resting place for Sir George Mackenzie. George was born between 1636 and 1638, but no one knows exactly when his birth date was because records around the time were poor, because obviously it's the 1600s. It's old. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no one knows his exact age. And he died in 1691. Spoiler. He was a Scottish lawyer and was involved in extensive witch trials early on in his career. That's nothing to do with the story. I just thought it was really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, if you want to know more about witch trials, then have I got the podcast for you. It's our podcast a few episodes earlier. Episode two, I talk about the Pendle Witches, which changed witch. history and also affected the Salem Witch Trials. So you can go check that out. Yeah, go have a little look. So he's a fairly well-renowned lawyer and became Lord Advocate in 1677. So this position basically means that he was the highest legal officer in Scotland for both civil and criminal matters. If you're not in the UK, then just to summarise, England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales are all different countries and there are devolved powers, meaning that basically in this instance, Scotland have their own means of dealing with internal issues. As well as this, he was part of the Privy Council of Scotland, which was a body that could advise the monarch. So basically, he was the dog's bollocks. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Like <laughs> He was top dog. Uh, to give an overview of what was happening in George's lifetime, King Charles II was King of England, Scotland and Ireland. He was King of Scotland from 1649 to 1651 and then King of them all from the 1660 restoration because the monarchy was abolished for a bit and then they brought it back. Charles came back, whatever. In 1672, there was a battle called the Battle of Bothwell Bridge, which was between government troops and Covenanters. The government won with the Covenanters sustaining around 600 casualties, but for the government troops, there were only a few, if any. George was in charge of sentencing the Covenanters and held 1,200 of them in a field next to Greyfriars Kirkyard. Some were executed, hundreds died due to maltreatment, and on the last shipment of the remaining prisoners from Edinburgh to the colonies there was a shipwreck that only 48 of the 257 prisoners escaped. As a side note, um, the maltreatment consisted of like torture, starvation, exposure to the winter. Like It wasn't just shite porridge. <laughs> the repression in this period became known as the killing time in Covenanter history. Um, and Covenanters, are, uh, it was a form of Presbyterianism, which I've touched upon when I was talking about Heaven's Gate, but it's just, um, I believe, is another form of Protestantism, but I'm not entirely sure. But there was uh, the reason that the monarchy was abolished and everything happened. It was like Oliver Cromwell and it was fighting the, the state's religion because it was oppressive, basically, to the other religious beliefs that were going around. So George had indirectly killed a lot of people, uh, possibly up to 18,000. Jesus Christ, yeah. George, calm down. <laughs> right, George, take a fucking holiday. Because he couldn't because they couldn't accept the state-approved religion. Therefore he earned the name Bloody Mackenzie. But where it's Scottish, it's spelled B L U I D Y, Mackenzie. 
Bloody. Bloody. <laughs> he died in 1691, like I said, and he's buried in Greyfriars Kirkyard in the Black Mausoleum. So he's literally yards away. Like, he's in the same Greyfriars Kirkyard as where he kept the 1,200 Covenanters that died. Damn. Yeah, it's a bit of poetic justice, really. Yeah, I was going to say exactly <laughs> that. So for 300 years, he was, you know, dead. Nothing happened. <laughs> and then in 1998, a homeless man broke into the Black Mausoleum. He ransacked the tomb, smashed loads of caskets. I don't know, he was on like a bender or something. And then he finally came to Bloody Mackenzie's casket. While trying to pry open the casket, the floor fell away beneath the man, dropping him into a pit filled with remnants of plague victims. Oh my God. Yeah, and apparently it wasn't even like skeletal remains. It was like gross shit. What the hell? Yeah. That was just there in 1998? Yeah, I guess. Well, if it was like properly sealed. That wasn't that long ago. 21 That was when I was born. Oh, yeah. Fun fact. Yeah, was it so. you? Were you a baby going in there? I was, yeah. I was the homeless man baby. <laughs> uh, the man f- fucking freaked out, screamed, ran away, was never heard from ever again. Apparently smacked his head on the way out. Like He didn't give a fuck. He was off. Fair enough. None of that. That's <clears throat> shocking. Yeah, there was a, um, a guard on duty... And apparently he quit the next day. He was like, I'm not having any more of this. What was he doing? How was he guarding it if this guy had already gone in and was smashing things up? Well, because I guess he wasn't in charge of just the mausoleum, was he? Because he was like, well, guy's been dead for 300 years. I guess. So I guess he was in charge of the whole um, Greyfriars Kirkyard. Yeah. A day after this, a woman who was looking through the gates to the tomb was, in quotes, blasted back off its steps by a cold force. Ooh. Yeah. Soon after, uh, another woman was found by the entrance of the tomb, unconscious, with bruises covering her neck, as if she'd been violently choked. Oh my god. When she awoke, she complained of the invisible hands that had been trying to strangle her. Over 500 ghost attacks and encounters have happened since 1998 and been reported by visitors at the tomb most of which have been evidenced with photographs of injuries, which will be on the Instagram and Facebook, which is fucking crazy. And Twitter. <laughs> and Twitter as well, yeah, sorry. Some of the injuries and things that have happened include burns, skin gouges around the neck and abdomen, bruises, broken bones like fingers in the mane, hair pulling, punches, kicks, nausea, numbness, strange smells auditory hallucinations like knocking there was one account of um in the tour the people had gone in and they heard knocking from the the floor beneath them gross yeah inexplicable fires have broken out people have lost consciousness there are cold spots there's dead wildlife in the area surrounding and electrical malfunctions all in all fucking horrific I feel like I'm so quiet whenever you read, but it's because I'm always so shocked that I just don't know what to say. Like, I just want to listen. <laughs> I promise I'm still here. She's gone. This was freaking me out too much. I'm in a different room. <laughs> She's left. I added this in in post. She's got bored. She's gone and made a cup of tea. 
Minister Colin Grant visited the graveyard to perform an exorcism. I haven't written down the date, I'm so sorry. He was overcome by a sensation of being surrounded by hundreds of tormented souls and evil spirits trying to break through. He left very quickly, fearing for his life, and a few weeks later he was found dead of a heart attack. God, God. Yeah. Now, Edinburgh Council have shut the mausoleum for all but those with express permission. There's a tour company called the City of the Dead Tours that are allowed into the graveyard, um, and those who go on the tours report weird stuff happening. Interestingly, not just while they're at the graveyard, but also when they go back home or to their hotels or whatever, where they claim spirits have followed them back. We're never going here. I'm going tomorrow. (laughs) You better not. Oh, bitch, bye. (laughs) I'm going to go visit um, my friend up in Edinburgh Uni. Go get haunted. You're not coming back here if you've got a ghost up to you. (laughs) Again. An ex-policeman states that after he went, he got back to his hotel room and looked at The Ghost That Haunted Itself, which is a book about the Mackenzie poltergeist by Jan Andrew Henderson. He had a burning sensation on his neck, and when he looked in the mirror, there were five long scratches just below his Adam's apple. Gross. He told his mum about it and gave her the book because he didn't want to keep it. He was really freaked out. And later, when he phoned her, she said that she had identical scratches. That's horrific. Yeah. Burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it. I don't know why I gave it to his mum. Like, right, who does that? Why yeah. do you want your mum to experience it? Did he hate her? Yeah, right. His poor mum. The graveyard is also packed with other remains. There have been around 500,000 recorded burials there. Jesus. So it's not uncommon that should there be a rainy day, some remains may make their way to the surface. What? Yeah. What is this place? <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like the most haunted place in Edinburgh. What the hell? They yeah. just kind of, like, bones? Oh, my God. Yeah. Maybe we will go there. That sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, right? We don't have to go into the mausoleum. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere near that. But <laughs> when we see some remains, I don't even want to... I don't know what I'm talking about. This sounds incredible, though, like, in terms of just... I am so shocked that a place like that exists and no one's done anything about it. I know, right? I didn't I didn't even know about this story, actually. This was one of the ones that have been um, requested. That's... What? And I've been to Edinburgh before, like, and I just had no idea that this was a thing. Maybe your parents, like, Googled it and were like, we're not taking you to see these remains. Well, no, because I went to St Mary's Cross or whatever it is, the underground city, the plague city... I've been there, and that's really haunted, apparently. Good God. Yeah. So, ban Kate from Scotland. (laughs) Please don't. I like it there. So, it could be a ghost, or many, many ghosts. Or there's also a theory, um, and it's called the the pheromone theory, which is that living things are influenced by pheromones, so... You know, if a dog's in the mood to mate, it'll attract other dogs and stuff. I'm sure you know it. Yep. But in this instance, it would mean that maybe where there were so many tortured souls in one spot, that maybe they've left an imprint of sorts that affects visitors' behaviour and and senses. Right. Which was pretty interesting because it's kind of... It's like, I don't know if you listening have ever been to anywhere that's kind of had that kind of torture and, and horror happen in it and then you go in and it feels kind of damp and Heavy. cold. 
Yeah. But it's like we went to the Anne Frank house and it really was just like a, it felt like a punch to the gut going in. So that could be an explanation as to what's happening, but that doesn't explain physical injuries and why people are reporting things once they've left. Although there is a possible explanation that was added after to explain why people might feel it when they've left, and that's that there are like pheromone pathways or something, you know? So, but I don't know how legit that is. Another explanation could be electromagnetic energy interfering with brainwaves of the visitors, thus causing hallucinations. I think it said online that Greyfriars Kirkyard is close to one of the centres for Edinburgh Uni that's got a lot of electrical equipment in it. So I think that was where that theory kind of came from. But again, doesn't explain any physical injuries or why things happen when people have left, which seems to be a recurring thing. Also, it could be group hysteria. Like if you're going into a small tomb with a tour group in the nighttime for a haunted place, you might just be more sensitive to what's happening around you and kind of freak out. Does that make sense? Yeah. But again, like, you know, you can't force yourself. I mean, you can scratch yourself, but like, would you really be that freaked out? Mm. Like, freaked out enough to report it? And also, like, why would you be physically injuring yourself? Why would there be sort of like hundreds of people that are willing to physically injure themselves to keep up this basically like group meme you know <laughs> group meme yeah well i think it's probably ghosts because i can't see anything else making sense of that well as you know on this podcast we're open-minded we think about different ideas different approaches to things you know i'm always willing to give things a try and learn about new stuff but this is fucking ghosts um, oh yeah anyone that argues with me is wrong <laughs> this is scary ghosts here and you shouldn't go and that's all i have to say about it really Thanks, yeah. Kate. Well, I mean, if anyone can think of something that's kind of more um, swaying, I guess, than the theories I've said, or if you can add anything on to the theories that I've said, then by all means, let me know. If you think it's not ghosts and you know why, drop us a message. There was another theory, actually. I didn't write it down because it didn't make a lot of sense to me, but it was basically that the... It was put forward by, like, the Geological Association or someone, and they said that the rock under the mausoleum was i think it was a type of sandstone and it was basically just like hundreds of batteries i guess and then if like a minor tremor occurred it might release energy or something but i didn't really get it and i was never good at geography geology any of that so (laughs) i kind of I did research on it, but it just didn't really make any sense. So if anyone can explain that to me, that would be grand. If you can explain why sandstone is similar to ghosts. Yeah, right. If you can explain <laughs> why a stone is making me hallucinate, then by all means. Give it give it your best shot. Yeah. Um, it's magic pot. <laughs> Tell us why sandstone's freaking me out. <laughs> that sounds like an awful Google search. My sandstone's freaking me out. <laughs> Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Am I pregante? Anyway. But well, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a ghost story, for sure. There are ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe Everyone else, else is wrong. 
Yeah. So some interesting ideas there for both both of those stories. Thank you so much for the request. Really appreciate it. It was a very interesting story. If you want to do any more research, then by all means, fill us in on anything else that you find out about either of those stories. Yep. Let us know what you think. Let us know your theories, ideas, anything else you want us to cover. Yeah. Kind of what what genres you like the most would be good as well, because obviously we've spoken about um, witches and magic and um, supernatural creatures, urban serial legends, killers. serial killers. Yeah. We're trying to get a good mix in. Yeah. I mean, we're myths, magic and murder. We're not only going to focus on, you know, murder. But it's it's always good to know what you guys think. Yeah, what you're into. And if you are interested in subscribing to the Patreon, we have a couple different tiers there. Uh, and the third tier entitles you to a extra episode once a month, an entire full-length episode. And for the first one, I'm going to be doing Anton LaVey, who is the founder of the Satanist Church, if that interests you. You can check that out on our website. Do you know what you're doing for the first Patreon exclusive one. I'm okay. pretty sure I'm going to do a ritualistic killing. I think I have one in mind, um, but I don't know how long it's going to be. So possibly that, possibly something entirely different. I'm not trying to falsely advertise you into paying us. Yeah, but if you do want to go and check that out, then feel free to do that. We'll get those out when we can, really. Uh, but they will, be, they will be monthly, so that's a promise. But yeah, that's all we have for today, I guess. You got anything else you need to say before we finish? No, no, I'm I'm good. I, I hope you have enjoyed this thoroughly spooky episode. Yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs>